all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Huh. <laughs> All right, shall we crack open our beers? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, right, I, am, so. I am thirsty. After, uh... After what? Oh, after, after your work. After working, work. uh... Mm. What? A normal person works in five days. I've just worked in three. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mostly goofed off today. That's okay. Yeah. Self-employed. Mm-hmm. I get to do that sometimes. I... Well, what are you drinking? I am drinking, uh, once again, the uh, Birdsong Brewing Company. Out of Charlotte. Out of Charlotte. The uh, Jalapeno Pale Ale. Hmm. Which is by far my favorite pale ale. Yeah. Yes. I am drinking a new one. The Red, White, and Brew from Brewprint. It's a oh. strawberry, blueberry Hefeweizen. I don't know. Let's see. It's not bad. It's very subtle berries. It, it is, yeah. I can barely even taste yeah. the... Yeah. Uh, and the aftertaste a little bit. Well, maybe that's... That was the idea, to make mm-hmm. it subtle. Yes. Yeah, it said it had notes of strawberry, blueberry, and banana, which oh. I can kind of... I can see. I could taste the uh, the strawberry yeah. more than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. L- I, listen to us. Should, should, we start a, <laughs> should we start a beer podcast This will not become the, the beer podcast. There's a lot of those. Uh, there, there are several local beer podcasts. Nine One Nine Beer, I know is mm-hmm. one. Um, local beer to us. Yes, local to us. Yes, <laughs> yeah, obviously, and I'm sure nationwide there's many I'm, local yeah. beer podcasts. It's a. Thing. I haven't listened to any of them, but I'm sure Me they're neither. out there. Yes. Um, shout outs, just a couple. Uh, no housekeeping per se. Oh, um, that's not true. So, last week, episode forty eight. We had my sister on, which is yes. fun. Yes, we did. Um, hopefully everyone can tell our voices apart. I, I yeah. never I, I never realized our voices sound more alike than I realized. I think it's our, our way of speaking is maybe kind of similar. I don't know. It's your uh, cadence. Yeah. That is very similar. Yeah. But that um, was the, our first in-studio guest. It was. Yes, in, she was. And by in-studio, we mean in, in, <laughs> in our, our bedroom. bedroom yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had to sit on my on our bed. <laughs> To, to give her a, an actual chair. Yes. <laughs> um, but this is episode 49, so that means next episode is the, our big 5-0. We've made it 50 episodes in as of next week. Which with, is crazy. Without missing a week, too. We that's, have, yeah, that's we true. Have we have not. every single Monday. Um, so we're gaining on our one-year anniversary. We, mm-hmm. we released a few episodes the first week, so that's why it didn't quite line up. We introduced... We did three, three at once. Yes. yes. I think we did three. Yes. So... The um, Station Nightclub Fire, where I know was our first one. I think... Have a lazy cable cars. Yes. And e- Lake Neos, maybe? Was or that the third? Either Lake Neos or... Um, you can tell we never look anything up while we're recording. <laughs> our listeners might have a better idea yeah, of what our first do. three episodes are. They can are. look it up faster than we can. But that means that we're going to start our big mega disaster sp- series, multi-parter, next week. Episode 50 
51-52, maybe 53. It's definitely okay. a three-parter. It might be a four-parter. We're going to delve deep into science and stuff. Okay. Yeah, science. I like science. Yes, science. A Breaking Bad reference if anybody didn't get it. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that, that should be interesting. Rachel tries to explain science that she learned on... Um, physicsforkids.com, and I'm not even joking. Hey, I'm, I'm fascinated with that. <laughs> I would need a physics for uh, two-year-olds. <laughs> so that'll be a big multi-parter coming up soon. So a um, couple of shout-outs. Uh, uh, one of our listeners, um, and I, I guess I'll just give the Twitter handle because, or the twiddle-hander. The twiddle-hander. <laughs> because people don't put, like, their actual names necessarily as their... Not very Even if it's like the name and the handle, because you can change up the name. Yeah, Dave you can. Anthony does that all the time. Yes. It's pretty funny. Uh, somebody I follow on uh, IGN, which mm. is Internet Games Network. I knew that. Well, some, some of our listeners might not. Um, she changes her handle like every week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so this is this it was from at Marie Kitty Cat89. <laughs> Um, but they said, uh, every time I say, this is the story, or they, they think of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme. Now this is a story all about how. I always think of, <laughs> and I never really watched the show, but I always think of the Brady Bunch. Here's the story. Or, uh, oh, it's here's the story. Here's I thought it was, story. this is the story of a lovely lady. Oh, here's it's the here's story. the story. Okay. Yeah. So Fresh Prince of Bel-Air matches up a little better. And you know I love some Fresh Prince. I never watched that either. <laughs> it was a hilarious show. It was a great show. I watched an episode here or there, but... There was a very special episode about gun violence. Really? Did you know that um, Will got shot in an episode? I, no, I didn't. And then Carlton went and bought a gun to protect himself, but Will was like... When, and, so he, and that got revealed while he was visiting Will in the hospital, and Will was like... Get rid of the gun! It was this horribly emotional scene, and he ended up, like, emptying the bullets out and crying into his hands. Okay. Yeah. The only episode... the end. The only episode that I remember that I watched was when his actual father came back into the picture for, yeah. like, I think just one episode. That was a very special episode, too. Yeah. Why doesn't he love me? It was... Yeah, but it was a good episode. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Mean, it's because, like, Will Smith later became to be known as a legitimate dramatic actor, so... I don't know about legitimate. He got... He got nominated for an Did Oscar he? for, um, I know for... Oh, for Ali. Yes. Which I've never seen. That was the first R-rated movie I saw by myself in the theater. It was right after I turned 17. The, um... The guy that trained him for that film, mm-hmm. um, and his name escapes me, but he trained actual legitimate boxers. Well, sure, yeah. <sighs> what the fuck was it? I can't think of his name. Freddie Roach. Oh, Freddie Roach I've trained heard of him. him. Yes, um, he trained. Well, helped in training Mike Tyson. I think he might have trained George Foreman. Um, anyway, he's uh-huh. like a he's a boxing dude. Yeah. Um, Will Smith bulked up so much for that movie, too, because he was like a beanpole in Fresh Prince, and next yeah. thing you know, you're seeing him well, like all buffed up. Well, he's very tall. I think he, he's 6'4", six, 6'5". Four, six, mm-hmm. um, and his wife a, is tiny. Jada Pinkett Smith is tiny. Yes, she is. But yeah. on a on a sports um, radio show that I listen to, the, the Jim Rome Show, 
Um, not the herd. No. Not cow herd. But he was cow. talking, he was interviewing Freddie Roach um, oh. about training oh, Will, Will Smith. Smith. And he said, he was like, he was like, if he wanted to dedicate himself to this, he's like, I could have taken him pro. He could have been a legitimate boxer. Mm-hmm. Wow. So he had the, the prowess for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this will not become the This will not become the Will Smith podcast. (laughs) Too late. Please follow us, Will Smith. (laughs) At Will Smith. At us, please, Will Smith. Um, I also wanted to to give a shout out to someone on Twitter that I follow. I don't think that they listen to our podcast based solely on the fact that their Twitter handle is Anxiety Warrior. Okay. (laughs) So their, their actual handle is at... A-N-X-I warrior. It makes me think of, does that mean that they're going to crouch into a corner or break out like with knives? <laughs> so it's a, it's a person who um, has a, a Twitter, a Twitter account that's, that's been gaining some steam and they also write a blog and I think they're a, a graphic designer, I think out of England. Um, but um, I say they, I'm pretty sure it's a man, but I'm not sure of his pronouns. I'll just say he just to make it easier. Anyway, um, the account is really cool because he just like checks in with people like I'm, I'm kind of struggling this morning with my anxiety. How are you guys doing? Or like, uh, one tweet earlier this week was, uh, or maybe last week was, um, I'm getting blood drawn later this week and I'm really nervous about it. I'm afraid I'll faint and I have a fear of fainting, you know, and just like this really transparent dialogue about anxiety. And as someone who has definitely had panic attacks and has had issues with anxiety, I find it like really refreshing that someone's so open about it. They remain anonymous, like they, they don't reveal their name or anything or, or pictures or whatever. Um, but I, I just thought that it was really nice. I don't know. I feel like between our pod friends and, like, some cool accounts like, like this person, um, I, I like Twitter. I don't get into the Twitter battles yet. <laughs> and well, but, I, I mean, I, I feel the same way at work sometimes. I mean, um, when I'm on third floor at work. That oh, anxiety? I get, a, I get a little anxious sometimes. Yeah, but it's, sure. it's, never, uh, it's never been something that prevents me from doing my job but occasionally I'll just like when I'm in the cargo elevator mm. riding up to you know do my job I'm just mm. like <sighs> yeah I kind of have to just take a breath because yeah. when you're on that I mean I'm not going to go into the facets of my job because that's boring <laughs> but when you're on that floor and doing that job um, the whole day essentially depends on you yeah so you've so, got to be on point mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of performance anxiety a yeah, little bit a little huh? bit yeah well, yeah. But it's never prevented me from doing anything. Right. But I just have difference. to take a have to take a big deep breath every now and then. And that's a big difference between like kind of average anxiety and acute anxiety because I've been there yeah, where I've, I've it never, actually prevents you yeah. from like. I've never had like the. Yeah. Have you ever had a panic attack? I have once. Yeah, yeah I have. But uh, and it's kind of scary. But um. It's really scary. Um. It's not something I've ever really had to deal with yeah. in life. So I had a I had a spat of them for a while. Um, over a couple of months, I had like a dozen or so, and yeah, it's. I mean, I didn't bad. know it was a panic attack until you don't later. first time. Usually, yeah, yeah, it takes a while to kind of figure it out. Like I didn't go see anybody or anything, mm-hmm. but like after hearing about people's like experience, experience I was it. like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, I went through that, and mm-hmm. you just don't 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it happened like in the early 2000s or something. Yeah. Uh, way before like mental health was kind of like an awareness right. thing. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, was just like. Yeah, thankfully it's, it's been so much more transparent now. And so anyway, we've gone super long <laughs> with our prologue. So just. This will not become the panic attack podcast. <laughs> no. All right. Are we ready to move so on? So now we're going to get into an actual <laughs> panic attack. An actual disaster. Let's get to our tragedy. All right. So a couple of hints. Oh, first, before um, we get started, I've got a shout out. This was a listener topic suggestion. Okay. On Twitter um, from Reese. I'm assuming that's his name because it looked like a first and last name on his Twitter. Oh, um, okay. But his handle is at P-A-I-N-E, so pain with an E, 19. Um, and The first 18 were taken. And maybe 19 is my my favorite number, so. Um, And he suggested this topic, so big shout-out to him. Absolutely. Keep your suggestions coming. I promise we'll eventually get to them, and we will always shout you out. And if I forget, then just remind me, and I will correct myself. Okay. So cheers to uh, Pain19. Yes, on Twitter. At Pain19. At Pain19, yep. Who I will give a follow to later. Yeah, there we go. Um... So this is a new topic for us, a new type of disaster, and a new country. Okay. Um, here's what I was thinking about the other day. I don't think you teased this one at all. Or maybe Mm-mm. you did. I don't think I did. I said I thought you would like it. Um, I'll just, no, I'll let you go ahead. Because I have something in my mind for something I want to do later. Oh, so. okay. So maybe not yes. tip your hand. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is the story. All about of a no. girl named Brady. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, wait, uh, All about how it's here's the story. Uh, this is the story of the 1955 Le Mans crash. Le Mans. Oh, uh, that's a race. Uh, Indeed, a 20, sir. A 24 hour race. <gasps> yes, it is. On June 11th, 1955. Uh, an auto race, to be specific. Yes. Uh, not a horse race, obviously, no. yeah. <laughs> Horses don't crash, they fall. And then they get sent to the glue factory a week later. Unfortunately. On June eleventh, nineteen fifty-five, which will be sixty-three years to the day that this episode will come out. Yes, yeah, you're right. Totally serendipitous. A crash during the twenty-four hours of Le Mans motor race killed eighty. Four people. Holy shit. And injured an additional 180. What the fuck? In the deadliest accident in motorsport history. Yeah, I hope so. That's <laughs> yeah, deadly. I hope, no I more hope there's not one that's great. Holy shit. I have seen um, some of Le Mans. It's, Le Mans is about to take place again. Well, because it's, yeah. it's June, yeah. Yes. Well, let's not give out all of the okay, information. Okay, sorry. But, but anyway, to. okay. Okay, all right. Um, so yes, this is the first car crash we've covered, right? Because most yes, that's right, we haven't. Because most car crashes are like well, they happen every day. They do happen every day. Although there have been some really major ones. Like sure. I would like to when we have a little more distance from it, I want to cover the one of the hockey team in Canada. Oh yeah, oh, it's yeah. super depressing, yes. but also that was a bus crash. Yeah, though. That's right, but still, yeah. still not. It wasn't in racing, obviously, but anyway. Um, and this is, yeah, this is definitely an epic one in, like, the worst possible way. Oh, shit. 
Yeah. The fuck? Now, we do live in a land of car racing. We live just yes. a couple hours from Charlotte, which is like the home of... Or no, in between Charlotte and here is the home of Dale, or birthplace of Dale. Dale Earnhardt, Earnhardt. right? Yes. Um, but Charlotte, Charlotte is where the NASCAR Hall of Fame is. Yes. So we're deep in NASCAR country. This was not NASCAR, obviously. No. But, um, so are you ready for me to, uh, to tackle a new language? Francais? Oh, that's right. Because yes, yes, that's this right. Happened okay. In France. Yes. So, the twenty-four hours of Le Mans, which in French is vingt-quatre heures de Le Mans. Okay. Do you like that? <laughs> I do. I don't know what you said. Twenty-four but... hours of Le Mans. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, somehow <clears throat> I knew that twenty-four was vingt-quatre without looking it up. I don't know how. I took French for four years, and I don't even remember that. Is it's the world's oldest and still active race mm-hmm. in what's known as endurance racing, mm-hmm. um, and it takes place to this day. Like you said, they're gearing up for it now, huh? Gearing up, get it? <laughs> um, it takes place near Le Mans, France, hence the name. And endurance racing is a thing I didn't even know about until I started looking into this. Um, but it's that's not a shock because I'm not into cars or car racing at all. I'm not so. really either, but I know enough about it. Y- you know um, more than I do. This yeah. is gonna. Be, I I might be pointing out some super obvious things in this episode, but I'm not sure because I'm just not into cars. I might be wrong, but what I'm thinking, because I've seen it here and there, Le Mans is no, it's not Le Mans. It's M A N S Le Mans. Oh, okay. I thought it was Le Mans. Okay. No, that Le Mans. Would be Le- oh, you're right. World. Yes, you're world. right. World. It's Le Mans. Le Mans. Yes. But the cars. Wasn't there a car, wasn't there a car model called the Le Mans Probab- back in the day? Probably. They gave it away on the Commodore 64 Wheel of Fortune game we used to have. <laughs> <laughs> That's going way back. Um, and if anybody even knows what the hell a Commodore 64 is, you get a prize. <laughs> um, but these are, to my memory, um, these are modified, kind of regular cars. We're talking about. Well, let's. Okay, let's I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay, I reveal this. You yes. see, throughout the beautiful narrative, I spent time crafting. I need to stay out of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no comment when appropriate. Okay. <laughs> so it's a car racing sport that, as its name would suggest, goes on for quite a bit. Typically 1,000 kilometers, which Mm -hmm. is 620 miles in six hours, but there are definitely longer races like 1,000 miles in 12 hours and, of course, the 24-hour races like Le Mans. The Le Mans race is one of the more extreme distances, obviously, lasting around a full 24 hours and is known as the Grand Prix of Endurance and Efficiency. Uh, these endurance yeah, it's races. A, it's a fucking 24 hour race. Right? In a car. Yes. So these endurance races are meant to test something beyond just the sportiness of these racing cars. The challenge for a car in an endurance race is to be fast and efficient, but also durable. They have to last the entire length of the race, like top speeds for 24 hours straight. You know, <laughs> my car couldn't do that. No. <laughs> my poor little car can't even. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it wouldn't do well. Endurance for your car is just going to the grocery store. <laughs> don't don't mock my white lightning. I love my white lightning. I have a uh, a manual 2012 Ford Fiesta for those wondering. I love that car. Anyway, um, 
the the te- the car also the, the race also tests these cars fuel efficiency because obviously you don't want to make that many pit stops because that just slows down your time. Le Mans, the Le Mans race is run by the <coughs> Automobile Club de l'Ouest, the Automobile okay. Club of the West, okay. <laughs> or AOS or ACO, which is the largest automotive group in France. The organization was found in 1906, and they started the Le Mans in 1923. So they're coming up on their they're at oh, their close to their hundredth anniversary. Year. Yeah, they apparently they did. I didn't put this in the research, but I think they skipped a few years for various reasons. Not I think not the least of which was World War II. I was just point. going to say I'm going to guess a war was probably involved in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, Being that uh, Germany occupied France for part of World War exactly. II. Exactly. I'm going to guess that's when they canceled that. And race. that comes up here too. So the 24 Hours of Le Mans is held on the Circuit de la Sarthe. No, that's not it. Sarthe. Sarthe. I put the R on the wrong part of the syllable. To uh, our French listeners, we're sorry. <laughs> um, pardonnez-moi. <laughs> there we go. I was like, how do I say I'm sorry? I was, I was about to say lo siento. <laughs> Either way. Pardonnez-moi. Pardon. They might understand that, too. So if you're listening in Quebec or in France, we apologize. You mean Quebec. Whichever. <laughs> So the circuit is a racetrack in Le Mans, Maine, France. So geographically speaking, Le Mans is kind of like northwestern part of France. Not extreme, though. It's like not on the coast or anything. It's about 125 miles or 200 kilometers southwest of Paris. Okay. All right. uh, The circuit contains a mix of racetrack and public roads like the Grand Prix Mm -hmm. in Monaco. Um, and the fact that the cars have to drive on public roads with all of the potholes and the bumps and all the other shit that you get on city roads, that makes the endurance aspect for the car even trickier, obviously. So it adds a, an extra element of challenge. There are also built-in rules to emphasize the need for the cars to be hardy. Um, for example, the cars have to be shut off when they are refueled, when they're being refueled, which I did not know this. But that is not typical in car racing. Did you know that those fuckers leave their engines on while they're refueling? Yes. I did not. Well, I, well, I know that uh, for NASCAR. Yeah. Yeah. That's there's, like there's the still dangerous shit. Well, that's why they wear. That's why the pit crew Fire wears hardened. and helmets now. Oh God. Because there have been. I've seen plenty of there. There have been plenty of pit crew members that have been run over. Mm. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding. Well, yeah, but that's not that's not the danger here. Not no. with leaving your engine. Like that shit can catch on fire. Well, that too. Yeah, and that that's that's also happened in NASCAR. That. That's also happened in every racing uh, motor racing sport. Yeah, that's that's so. Anyway, um, the Le Mans is. Uh, you got to keep it going. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I guess so. So in the Le Mans, the fact that they have to turn off the engine every time they refuel is obviously safer, thank God, but it's also a big test for the car itself because if it's getting turned off, it has well, to start sure. back up again reliably. Plus the car is going through a lot. Yes, yes. So That's the thing, is is it was to push not only the drivers but the manufacturers to create cars that could endure this. So, so Le Mans is held every June, and it's summer in France, obviously, so it can get pretty darn hot. So it can be an uncomfortable race, especially from what I could tell. They had like open, like not convertibles because these were different types of sports cars, but they weren't necessarily fully enclosed. All of the drivers, I saw footage, and you could see their little their little chests and necks. And I'm not from what I I've, I've seen it here and there. Um, 
I don't think that's the way it is today. But I, I could, not. I could this be was wrong. 1955. Yes. So that is very. You're, very you're talking the, the term you were looking for is open wheel. Oh, thank you. Yes. Or should I say, merci. Yes. Well, um, oui. <laughs> the the only open wheel league still that exists is F1. Oh, okay, Formula One. Mm-hmm. That will be mentioned here as well. Um, so it's also not uncommon uncommon for it to rain in this area during this time of year. So that adds another element sure. of danger. So this is not like a safe race to begin with. Um, but now something important to note. Unlike shorter races, there isn't just one driver sitting in a car driving for 24 hours straight. They have, a, they have a spotter. Yes. They did decide to draw the line somewhere, and the current regulations mandate at least three drivers, although they can kind of... Oh, really? They okay. can kind of get around it. It's like specific, like, within, a, within X number of minutes, a driver can only drive X number of minutes, you know? So technically, you can get away with two people, but it's much more common to have three. I was going to say, I may be confusing, uh, but when I said a spotter, meaning there is a guy sitting shotgun no, no, mapping no, no, out. No, no, okay. no, sw- They swap okay. out. No, no, no. They do, it's one person at a time, but they swap out because one person can't sit there and drive for 24 hours. Right. I, but I'm, Although, I'm, there have been idiots stupid enough to try it. I think I'm thinking of a different endurance race oh, where there okay. is, um, I'll think of it later. I played a lot of Gran Turismo back in the day. Turismo? What's Gran Turismo. It was a, Turismo? It's a video game. Oh, okay. I've never so, heard of that one. Oh, it's a great one. <laughs> I've heard yeah, of it. It's a great GTA, racing game. but not yeah. Gran Turismo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a silly name. Anyway, um, so there were people who tried to do it. and The whole 24 yeah, hours. Yeah, the whole 24 hours. They eventually ruled that out. Um, teams of two were much more common at this point than 1955 race. So... Um, the, re- the race was initially measured in time versus distance, and the distance can vary still, although it's been, at this point, it's, like, modified to a sort of, like, laps plus distance rule. I could not figure it out. I couldn't understand it, and I didn't want to spend the time. So, anyway, it's, it's, not, it's not just distance. It's more time regulated. Anyway, the current distance record was set in 2010 at... 5,410 kilometers or 3,360 miles, which is Jesus. for those in living 24 hours. Yes, for those wow. living in the United States, imagine driving from coast to coast and then a little bit more. Yeah, in 24, in 24 hours. hours. I did it in 40 hours. I've never driven coast to coast. Just above the speed limit. The furthest I've ever driven is from here to my hometown, mm-hmm. which is like almost exactly a thousand miles. Yeah. It's like 1,017, something like that. And you like did that. it in one shot? Yep. Takes yeah. uh, 14 hours. Yeah, the long... 14 hours? It takes me that to get to Miami. I'm talking about Messina, not Rochester. I know, but Miami is only like 700 miles away, and it takes me almost 14 hours. How can you make it to Messina in 1,000 miles in 14 hours? I might have my distances and stuff wrong, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I don't know that it was 1,000. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Greenville. Oh, Greenville. From Greenville, okay, South Carolina okay. that to my hometown, it's like 1,017 miles. That makes way more sense, yeah. yes, because I was like, it's not that not from far here. from here. From yeah. here to my hometown is like exactly 12 hours. Okay, yeah. That's, that's like what it is from here to Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think it is like 750 miles. I think. Yeah. 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 We live like halfway between yeah. Messina and Miami, our hometowns, basically, almost exactly. Pretty much almost exactly, mm-hmm. yes. Anyway, this will not become the How Far Do We Live From Our Hometowns <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that, anyway. That'll be our side podcast. Yeah. Anyway, for comparison, that. Um, sorry, behind the scenes, boring things here. Um, so they, they were driving like 3,300 miles. That's like six times the distance of the Indy 500. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know? Well, the 500 means the miles. Right. Yeah. And about 18 times longer than the Formula One Grand Prix. So this is a huge, mm-hmm. huge... Uh, anyway, as in horse racing, there's also a triple crown in motorsport. Endurance, or No, I guess just in motorsport. And winning the Le Mans is one of those events, along with the Indy 500 mm-hmm. and the Grand Prix in Monaco. Monaco Grand Prix. Oh, okay. I did not know That's that. That's apparently called the Triple Crown. Yeah. Um, also, in just a fun bit of trivia, you know how at the end of a race, they spray champagne, the winning car driver sprays champagne all over everybody? Except in the Indy 500, they drink milk. Okay, well, we're <laughs> fucking Americans and we're strange. And I guess it's the heartland of America. Anyway, you know how normally, yes. other than the Indy 500, they do that? Well, that got started, at least it's thought, in the Le Mans. Um, It's the first televised instance of a winner shaking and spraying champagne from the bottle instead of drinking it, which was done by uh, winner Dan Gurney in 67. They used to just pour the champagne and drink it, or maybe drink it directly from the bottle, but they didn't spray it on people. If you've just gone through a 24-hour race, you you deserve to do all of those things, mix milk with champagne if you want to. (laughs) Spray the milk on people. That's disgusting. Have some champagne for yourself. (laughs) So, now let's talk about the 1955 race. This is fucking crazy. Yeah. The 1955 24 Hours of Le Mans or 24 Heures de Le Mans, because I practiced it a lot. Yes. Was a highly anticipated event and still a very much a European event, which was important considering that this was just 10 years out from the end of World War II. The race was just as much a matter of national pride to the car manufacturers as it was to the drivers, more so, in fact. Ferrari, Jaguar, and Mercedes-Benz were all putting their new and improved car models in the race. So Italy... England and Germany were going up against each other, mm-hmm. which does that sound familiar? And this is a post World War <laughs> post World War II, exactly. And they had each won, had a history of winning this race, so it was kind of like a clash of the European titans. Like, they're like, we don't want those American foreign cars in this bullshit. <laughs> well, except there were many fewer deaths. Even though there were 84 deaths, it was fewer than what happened the last time they clashed. Yeah, by several million. Yes. So more specifically, this was Mercedes' first entry in the Le Mans since the war. And people were awfully interested to see Germany and England go head-to-head in France. (laughs) So it was kind of like a... You could see how a, this would be a pretty it was a poetic piss, It was a thing. pissing contest is well, essentially it, what it was. It was poetic is what it was. Um, I'll go with pissing contest. Okay. But, you can do that. But poetic, sure, on the back end. <laughs> Mercedes had just released their 300 SLR. Do you know what that means? Um, SLR. Or what it stands for. 
I know the S series of Mercedes is their top of the line um, vehicle. They still make the S S series today. Can you guess what S stands for? I, uh, sport. Yes. Is it okay? Yes. Um, they're they're sport light racing SLR. Oh, okay. Which in German? You ready for some German? Sport Leichtrennen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, German listeners. <laughs> It was a two-seater, sporty little thing. It was basically considered a street-legal racer. Sure. Well, um, I have driven. Um, I did work for... Mm-hmm. I did sell cars for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I have driven... It was a 2003. It was an S... I think it was an SL500. Hmm. Um, the 500, meaning the horsepower. Okay. Um, and I would say... It is absolutely the smoothest, fastest car I've ever driven. Um, I took it out on the interstate. This was a uh-huh. car we got in on a trade. Right. And everybody was like, that's a fucking S-series Mercedes. you mm-hmm. got to try this out. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you go on the highway just yes, like where you on tested fi- on yours? on 540. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't realize it for a second because it was so smooth and so... Uh-huh. Just did you not know you were going as fast as you were? I was going about a hundred miles an oh, hour. Jesus Christ! All of a sudden, on five forty, but you couldn't. Holy shit! Feel it like you? Yeah, it was. Just, it didn't feel like you were it, zipping. It, it, honestly, like the only thing I could compare it to, it felt like taking off in a plane. That's mm. kind of what it felt like, but without the shakiness and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. it just felt. And I was just like, "This car is awesome." Oh shit! I'm going Slow 100 t- miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm going 30 <laughs> miles over the speed limit. I think it was an SL 500. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Okay. Um, and it was an 03. I remember that. Okay. Um, well, this was a 1955 300 SL. But that's their. Pretty much any other Mercedes models mm-hmm. are kind of shit. Apologies to Mercedes owners. Apologies to Mercedes who aren't don't have an S series. But you can sponsor us if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> the Mercedes S class. They yes. may not want that after this story is over, though. I'll still take their S class. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if it's crashed. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, this 300 SLR had a body made of lightweight magnesium alloy, known as Electron. That was like the brand name of it, and had drum brakes which were considered inferior to the new disc brakes that were coming out, which is what we have That's in what like pretty modern much every cars, car yeah. has now, yeah. yes. Um, okay, now for those who care or know what this means, I'm about to give you the specs of the engine for the 300 SLR. So I don't know what this means, but I'm going to say it anyway. It was a 3-liter fuel-injected 2,496.87 cc straight 8 board and stroked to 2,981.70 cc and boosted to 310 bhp. A very long way of saying it went very fast. <laughs> zoom, zoom. Wait, wrong brand, <laughs> I was right? Say, who it was, was that? Mazda. Was that? Oh, that was <laughs> you remember Mazda. that? Zoom, yes. zoom, zoom. I think they got rid of that, but yeah, that was <laughs> yes, their slogan for a while. Yeah. I remember the little kid who goes, how, how does the zoom, Mazda zoom. car do in this race? There was no Mazda. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I normally would dig into what all of that means, but I just don't I, fucking care. I honestly care. don't know. I'm not, I'm not a car person, yeah. so I was just like, yeah, never mind. If anyone if wants we had to my, explain If it, we had my Uncle Jeff in studio, oh he'd God. be able to explain all okay. of that. Well, if anyone wants to explain it to us in like plain English, feel free to email and we'll read I, it. I just did. It means it goes really fast. Okay. So, so. <laughs> anyway... Mercedes' driving team was jokingly referred to as the United Nations because of the different nationalities represented by the drivers. Juan Miguel Fangio from 
Argentina and Sterling nice. Moss from England were in the lead car. And drivers Carl Kling from Germany, André Simon, and Pierre Bouillon, known by his race name of Pierre Levey, from France, and John Fitch from America rounded out the team. Oh, okay. So, they had so there's an American driver. An American, British, Argentinian, German, and French. Okay. So. As for the circuit, the racetrack, it was more or less unchanged in the 32 years of the race, you know, between the time it got started in 1955, even though back in 1923, the cars racing generally only hit top oh, speeds yeah, of like 60 miles an hour, yeah, 100 kilometers per hour. Yeah. And by 19... Slow as shit to, to today's standards. And... Right. By 1955, the cars racing were hitting top speeds of almost triple that, like 270 kilometers per hour or 170 miles per hour. But they were still riding on a racetrack that was basically built for something going much slower. Now, after the war, the track had been widened and resurfaced, and the crowd grandstands... <laughs> Due to the bombing. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd grandstands were rebuilt, and this will become... Painfully important detail to the I story. Think now I see where the you deaths know where are going to come in. The only Whoa. thing that was separating the crowd from the racetrack itself was oh. a four-foot dirt embankment. That yeah, yeah, that doesn't work. At this point, also remember that non-racing cars generally didn't have seat belts, and neither did oh, any of these. Yeah, that's, yeah, this is the 1950s. Yes, but that was actually a conscious choice. Um, at the time, they rationalized that it was better to get thrown from a car than trapped inside one, and. It could go either way. It really depends on the crash. But um, anyway, they didn't have any seatbelts. So on Saturday, June 11th, 1955, 63 years ago today, if you're listening on June 11th, (laughs) I guess that's a stupid thing to say, but whatever. If you're listening when we actually release this, not when we record it. At 4 p.m. local time, the Vincotte de Le Mans race began. And things were going totally as expected. The three drivers in the lead were Fangio in Mercedes' lead car, Eugenio Castellotti for Ferrari, and Formula One, there I said it would be mentioned, mm. driver Mike Hawthorne for Jaguar. Oh, okay. All right. So the three nations they thought would be leading it were leading it. All right. You ready to get into the crash? This is a whole, I, like, explanation. Yeah. Okay. I just, yeah. So... This all happens around lap 35 of the race, so something to keep in mind. As he finished the 34th lap of the race, Mike Hawthorne, the Jaguar driver's pit crew, signaled for him to make a pit stop at the end of his next lap. So at the end of the next lap, he was... I don't know if you mentioned it before, mm-hmm. and I just... What was the distance between each lap? Do you, do you know? I did not find okay. that information, and okay. I didn't specifically look it up, so All I'm right. not positive. Now, I do know this was about two and a half hours into the race, and they were already 35 laps in, so... Oh, okay. I mean, so we're talking probably n- okay. hundreds of laps, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it wasn't... So it couldn't have been So kilometer-wise... Yeah. Kilometer-wise. Kilometer-wise. Uh, probably not a lot. Yeah, and not, not Maybe hugely Maybe a mile long. or two? I'm, I'm not anyway. sure. I didn't tell a, a kilometer or two, rather? <laughs> I was just um, curious about that. Anyway. Gotcha. So he was signaled by his pit crew to make a pit stop next time around. So at the end of the next lap, at the end of the 35th lap, he was leading and was fighting to keep Juan Miguel Fangio in the um, Mercedes. No, wait, Fangio. Yes, Mercedes, yeah. the lead Mercedes, from overtaking him. 
and had just lapped the sixth place car. I don't think that's right. Hold on. I don't think that's right. <laughs> I'm, I think I got something wrong there. Da, 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 da. Oh, no, no, no. I got it right. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Ignore me. Continue on. Continue. All right. So. <laughs> Ignore the person explaining all of this. <laughs> so Fangio was in the lead Mercedes. Okay. And, and Hawthorne in the lead Jaguar was trying to, like, keep a lead on him. And he had just lapped the sixth place car. Sure. Which was another Mercedes driven by Pierre Levey. Okay. Okay. And he had also just lapped Austin Healy driver Lance Macklin. Okay. okay. So Austin Healy had a, at least a car, I'm guessing multiple, in the race. And he had just lapped him. <clears throat> now, Hawthorne signaled, I think, I think he signaled, anyway. Anyway, um, no, no, no. He was going faster. Sorry, I should have written. So, anyway, let you me just read what I said. should have brushed up on your racing. Let me read what I said. Macklin moved over to the right to let Hawthorne pass him because he had already lapped he's him. Already he was, lapped he him so he's already lapped him, so he's clearly. pretty much out of the race at this point. So, he's well, trying not there's to. Still, there's still another 20 hour, plus hours to the race. So, well, but he was still. just trying, he was doing the right thing by, sl- by getting Letting over him so go. that he could, get, he could pass. Yeah. Right. But Hawthorne gave Macklin a hand signal to indicate he was going to make a pit pit stop. So he's like, hey, I don't know what hand signals are, but I'm making one, which is so helpful on a (laughs) podcast. Um, So he was going to pull off to the right at the pit, right? At the pit stop. Um, Now, there was no deceleration lane. The right lane was just the right lane, and then there was the pits directly to the right. Oh, man. I know. Okay. Yep. So Hawthorne had disc brakes and was able to brake very quickly in front of Macklin to get to his pit stop. Macklin knew the pit stop was coming because of his hand signal, but because of just how goddamn fast these guys were going, plus natural reaction time, he couldn't brake fast enough. It must have all just happened, like, really quickly. Oh, I'm sure. And as Macklin slammed on his brakes, he ran off the road to the right. Oh, man. Then swerved back left onto the track as he briefly lost control of his car. Okay? So, the Jaguar has now pulled off to the pit stop. It's fine. The Austin Healy ran off to the right, then he overcorrected and started swerving across the racetrack to the left. As Macklin swerved back onto the track, Pierre Levey, driving the Mercedes, another oh, Mercedes, right. came quickly upon the Austin Healey. He had enough time to give a hand signal to the lead Mercedes behind him. Remember, they had all lapped him, mm-hmm. or were about to anyway, um, to warn him that there was trouble ahead, but it was too late for Levey himself. The right right front wheel of LeVay's Mercedes caught the rear left corner of Macklin's Austin Healey wheel. Spun him out. And the Austin, no, the Austin Healey became like a launching ramp. Oh, shit. For the Mercedes. LeVay's car was launched into the air. Oh, my God. And straight towards the crowd. Now. And all this is happening. It's all like that. So quick. LeVay, who is unrestrained, as we discussed, 
was thrown from the car. Sure. Fell headfirst onto the ground, died instantly yeah. from the impact. Were they, were they at least wearing helmets? Probably I think, not. I think Maybe so, not. but I'm not sure. Okay. I would think so, but I don't know. Who knows? Fangio, who was behind him, who got that signal, closed his eyes as he drove headfirst into the melee and made it through. Mm-hmm. He was... Just, the, just like in Days of Thunder. <laughs> his instincts plus this, the warning, the warning is the hand signal from LeVay is thought to have saved... He, he was like, either I'm going to die now or I'm going to make it through this. And he made it through. I'm going to close my Fangio eyes and made, made it through. step on the gas. Yeah. He just slightly grazed Hawthorne's sure. Jaguar in the pit stop, but then was able to keep going. Anyway, the fateful Mercedes Mercedes <laughs> Mercedes landed on an ever so slight right kink in the embankment in front of the spectators. Fucking launched it into the air. At an estimated 125 miles per hour. Where it flipped end over end for about 250 feet. Oh my god. Eventually slamming into a concrete stairwell. At which point its fuel tank exploded. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. Now. That's not the worst of it. Are we ready to get into the like the, oh, this, it get, oh, it gets oh, worse. We haven't talked about the 84 people. Now, oh, flipped end over end, and it actually flipped end over end, like, near the embankment, mm-hmm. not through the crowd. Sure. It was just on the end of the road. And then it hit a stairwell and burst into flames. Now, fire can kill a lot of people, but it was open air, so it's not about, like, suffocation or anything. So, like, how did 84 people die when this thing is just on the side of the road burning? Well... This is a huge trigger warning. Not all of the car parts of the car burned. The heavier parts, the engine, the radiator, the front suspension, kept flying forward oh, for yeah. almost 100 meters or 300 feet straight through the crowd. Oh, my fucking God. So this debris just headed right... This heavy, heavy debris oh, yeah. flying about at a, a fucking high engine. rate of speed... Just ripped through the crowd, oh and here's here's and, where it gets. And literally, I'm guessing well, ripped through the crowd. This is going to be the worst part. You ready? The hood of the car detached and flew through the crowd like a guillotine, decapitating <sighs> and cutting through spectators. Fuck okay, we're okay. we're done with the worst. But yeah, I can see all of that happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. This is 1955. Oh, my God. There aren't cell phones, obviously, but there were motion picture cameras, and this was a big event. This was a race event. So there is footage of this crash. Is there There really? 100% footage of this crash. No shit. British Pathé, which I'll never watch it, but... It... Okay. British Pathé has an amazing array of old, like, newsreel footage and stuff from all sorts of things in history. Um, and you can find them on YouTube. It is a treasure trove um, and a horrible treasure trove of some things. And a horror movie, yep. depending so, on what you're looking yep. for. One of these videos is an old newsreel of the actual footage of oh the crash and the carnage. Now, it's horrifying because you know exactly what's happening in it, um, but it's it's, it's kind black of, and it's, white, it's black grainy, and white, exactly yeah. blurry, it's whatever. Not, it's not like it's not like if this crash happened today, where it's an eight. 
HD, HD where right. you can see people's heads being lopped exactly. off into the it's air. It's still bad, yeah. and you still know exactly what's yeah. going on, but you're right. That actually not. might make it worse. Like, right? like the theater of the mind. Right. You kind fill of. in the blanks yourself. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, but it's also narrated by one of the one of the transatlantic newsreel. Oh, my Chippa God. people. So it's. Uh, <laughs> Today in France, uh, engine radiator and a hood lopped off heads of people. 84 dead. <laughs> That's basically Back it. to you. <laughs> so anyway, you do know what happens, but I don't necessarily suggest watching it if you're not normally okay with that stuff so i may watch because it's like the grainy old there, 50s there is, stuff there's, there's also footage of a spectator who had some oh, sort a ha- of camera a, ha- a, um, a hand what was little handheld cameras back in the day i can't remember what those i had nine millimeter yeah i don't know i think so okay but i know exactly what you're talking about yes with the crank wheel yes that that's what kept the film yes and they have it in slow-mo because he was like right in front of them so it's all coming towards him the the person taking the footage they have it in slow-mo with like um explanations of what what's happening and who's which car and but it blacks out before the car makes impact in the embankment because the guy just like Hightailed it out of there. Oh, fuck so yeah. it just the film ends. So hopefully that guy got out of it. But so that's not you see the initial r- launching of the car, but there's but no carnage. It. Yeah. At any rate, what was left of the crash Mercedes the l- l- caught fire immediately because of the the fuel uh, or the engine exploding, um, and the magnesium alloy frame. Remember that elect electron stuff or whatever it was called had a lower ignition temperature than other metal alloys because of its high magnesium content. So, sure. the fire sprayed bits of magnesium onto the track and onto the crowd, although I don't think that, I didn't get the impression anyway that that was a primary cause of death, at least probably injury. I'm imagining people got burned. But anyway, the spraying fire and the flying car parts did exactly what you thought it would do to all these spectators. It killed some, injured some, and terrified and dazed everybody else. In the end, 84 people, including LeVay, so it was 83 spectators and LeVay. Plus the driver. Yeah. Were killed, and an estimated 180 people sustained injuries. Macklin's Austin Healy, remember the ramp that served as the ramp? Hit the pit walls, but did not hit any other cars, and Macklin was able to walk away without any serious injuries. So LeVay was the only driver killed. That's... Kind of miraculous. Huh? Yeah, really. Yeah. All right. So the aftermath. The footage of this incident does show a lot of people looking awfully just dazed and confused. I'm guessing because obviously this was an incredibly shocking thing to witness. So people initially like ran away from the wreck site, obviously, but then began running back toward the people. Because they're people to help. injured. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Trying to help people. Rescue workers tried to put out the flaming Mercedes with, of course, water. But unfortunately, that's not what needs to be done with magnesium fires because magnesium reacts with water to produce hydrogen and even more heat, causing aggravation to the fire. So, but from what I could tell, it didn't do anything more than just like hamper them putting out the fire. Sure. Anyway. It didn't lead to more tragedy. Right. Now, the one driver involved in this that I haven't mentioned again yet was Hawthorne, 
who was the Jaguar driver who pulled into the pit stop that started this whole chain reaction in the That's first right. I kind place, of forgot right? about that guy. That's right. Once he pulled over, he got out of the car. His team yelled at him. Oh, there's Demetrius for anyone who was wanting to hear him again. Hi, baby. Um, he, he pulled over, got out of the car. His team yelled at him to get back in and drive. Like, just get away from this shit. And he did. Well, and I, and I don't think they were telling him that. And, like, you need to go win the race. Like, you need to just get the fuck out of here for a little bit. Yes, like, just, just, like, get, uh, don't stay around this fire and yeah. all that stuff. So that's exactly what he did. He pulled over at the next lap, um, and he was completely distraught. Like, he must sure. have spent that whole lap knowing exactly what happened and Knowing that people are happened. probably dead. Yes. And his teammate took over. Um, the rest of the drivers were either farther away from the site, like on another part of the track, um, because it was such a long track, or when they came across the scene, were ordered to keep going. And the race continued. The race officials later stated, so the, this, the race had not been called off. The race officials, really? but, but listen to okay. this, it kind of makes sense. The race officials later stated the reason for this was if they called off the race, everyone would leave and that would cause a huge amount of traffic on nearby roads so emergency vehicles couldn't get through. It would cause congestion and just I, like okay. add to the chaos. Sure. I kind of get that. It, it's, oh, well, I it's, got it's, pictures uh, to show you. Wait. It's, it's crowd control. I have pictures. This is the grandstand in the the smoke, oh and this is showing God. where the car flipped and oh, how it flipped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and then yeah. on the other side, that's what's left of their Mercedes. Oh my! Yeah, nothing. And that's Levey. Oh. Oh yeah. yeah I don't you don't have to look too close yeah. to that. He's dead. He he was he was dead. Yes yes we know that. Okay. Getting launched out of a car not wearing a seatbelt will do that to you. It'll, it'll do that, yeah. Um, so, it, it, yeah, like I said, it, it did kind of make sense why they didn't just call it off then and there. Um, but, it, like, the people on the scene weren't really even sure what was going on. Uh, it was just, like, obviously things were bad. People were killed. People were injured. At the very least, they knew people were hurt. But in the confusion and the shock, it... Like, you couldn't tell how bad it was. 84 people. Like, and that number grew over time, you know, like over the next 24 hours or whatever. So, anyway, unfortunately for LaVey's wife, Denise Bouillon, she saw the whole thing happen. Oh, man. She witnessed her husband's death as she was in the pit stop standing next to John Fitch, LaVey's teammate, who stayed with her and consoled her after the crash. yeah. LaVey's burned body was laying fully exposed on the track for a while until police officers covered him with an advertising banner and eventually, like, (laughs) dragged him off. So... I don't know what kind of cigarettes they smoke in England, but that's... Oh, my... Well, no, they had... They knew it was dead. How are they supposed to cover him? I mean, I kind of make sense. I guess, but somebody must have a fire blanket or something, or... I guess. I don't know. This is 1955. But still, I mean... Anyway... Nevertheless, the drivers were just as much in the dark as the spectators were about how bad this crash was. Because they were... They were still, still doing driving. their... They are still doing they, their job. Yeah. <laughs> and it's except not Except like, for, like, a couple of... Well, except for well, one guy, for yeah. sure, and the other two that are... Right. Well, and, and it's not like... 
people were tweeting about it or or anything like this was 1955 like radio was the fastest i was gonna say radio communication is the only thing they've got and i don't know if there was well there probably was walkie talkies to some extent but uh, but if they were they were in their infancy anyway all i could tell was that it was super chaotic and no one really knew what exactly happened until like even the final death told everything it was several days later so as the severity of the incident became more apparent at least they knew okay people are dead too bodies were laid out and covered with blankets and coats and a priest was called at some point and began giving last rites um presumably rescue workers came and gathered the dead and injured and um fitch john fitch went to the mercedes team manager alfred newbauer to try to convince him to pull out of the race. Like, okay, if the race is going on, fine, but let's pull out as a team. Like, no, no. Like, one of our guys just died. Let's let's get out of here. Um, but Neubauer didn't have the authority to make the call. He, he wasn't able to say yay or nay, so they called an emergency meeting of the Mercedes company directors that they convened, and they made the determination, which they finally did around midnight. So this was this all happened around 6.30. I was going to say, that's almost six hours later. So, yeah, it was a while later. So these poor Mercedes drivers are still going. Are, yep. So, and then Neubauer waited until 1.45 a.m. to officially withdraw. As be, it, This was his rationale. At the time, most of the scene had been cleared and the spectators had been removed. So I guess, like, not to cause more uproar. I don't know. At the time they withdrew, their cars were in first and third place. And they were in the lead. Um, they asked Jaguar if they would also withdraw, as they were now the front runners with Mercedes gone, but they refused. Oh, okay. Hawthorne and the rest of the Jaguar team kept racing and won easily the next day. So the race concluded, Hawthorne won in the Jaguar. I hope there's a big fat asterisk next to that. Win. <laughs> because of because of death? Yeah. Oops, because of death and the other teams like pulling out and being like, yeah, we're not yeah, gonna do this right. anymore. Yeah, forfeiting. I don't know. Um so because of the way the events unfolded in the crash, there was a lot of finger pointing to be done afterwards. Yeah. hmm The press in France were very quick to blame Mike Hawthorne. Because his pit stop started the whole chain reaction sure. that triggered the accident. And because Mike Hawthorne took an, had an unfortunate picture taken of him when he won the race. He's shown happy and celebrating and about to kiss a lady because of the celebration. Yeah. Um. He looks a little dazed in it to me. But anyway, the, the, pre, the French press kind of vilified him. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I I do not agree with that decision at all. But to keep going and. But he did also, and he was one of two people. In in the in this race, so he well, raced uh, for that car. for that for that team for that car or for that car. Yes, they probably had um, multiple cars. So he'd been racing. Uh, minimally 12 hours, probably. So he's, he's been up for 24, probably. Yeah. So at least. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a little. But but it's an easy, looking at the photo, it's easy to, to point they, the finger yeah. mm-hmm. at him. So 
1958 autobiography, Challenge Me the Race, Hawthorne disavowed all responsibility for the accident, which Macklin and the Austin Healy, who lost control after Hawthorne mm-hmm. braked quickly, took as an accusation that Hawthorne thought he caused the accident, and Macklin filed suit to Hawthorne for libel. Like, you're not taking responsibility of it. That means you're pointing oh, the finger at me. That, that means I can sue you for libel. That was in 1958. If it had been 200 years earlier, they would have had a duel. <laughs> like Alexander Hamilton style? <laughs> yes. Um, now, But unfortunately, race cars weren't available <laughs> in the 1700s, so they had to settle for the press and libel. You're going to like this one. Tragically and ironically, Hawthorne died in 1959 before the suit could be settled in a non-racing car accident when he, driving a Mercedes, tried to pass a Jaguar and lost control of his car. Well, I don't like that. No, I don't but, mean that but you it's, like it. But like it's, it. Uh, it's irony. It's it's satisfying irony. It's um, Not satisfying, but you know what I mean. Poetic. Yes, it's also... What the hell am I looking for? Tragic. Um, no, it's... Um, one good turn deserves another. Karma? Yes. I, I, I mean, he didn't... Uh, we'll, we'll get... Anyway, let me keep going. Uh, yeah, and then we yeah. can discuss that. He didn't deserve to die in a car of accident. Not. Obviously not. Yeah. But how it happened... I, I guess irony would be the best example of that. I think it's that. irony, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Is it like Alanis Morissette irony or is it true irony? Anyway, let's keep going. Let's go with Alanis Morissette. <laughs> there was a lot of conjecture and conspiracy theories bandied about by the press. Obviously, this was a huge press story. Plus, you're also talking about the European press. Yeah. Post-war European press. Well, we have that style of press in the United States. It didn't come to the United States until about the 70s and 80s. You mean sensationalism? Yes. That is a creation of mostly the English press, but European. Yes, the British press is known for being pretty savage. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, Um, they are going to attack... There, some of their wild and incorrect conge- conjecture about Mercedes was that they put explosive additives in their fuel so that the car would burn, but that's that, yeah. that was baseless. The bulk of the other drivers generally chalked the whole thing up to an unfortunate chain of events accident. And I mean, yes, it was no one individual yeah. to blame. Um, and eventually, that's what the official government investigation agreed with. They said no single driver was to blame. Yeah. We'll get to let's. Yeah. Um, uh, and that it was just an awful accident. And the death of the spectators, however, was blamed on poor safety standards. Well, for the yes. Track. So there's a four foot embankment. And like, that's it. Like between them and a fucking car going 150 miles an hour. So, yep. Because of the high number of casualties in this accident, there was an immediate ban on motorsports in many European countries. Really? As, yep. Just right away, they locked that shit down. Wow. They were okay. Like, That's it. As higher safety standards were enforced on racetracks, they're like, we got to get shit up to better standards. The AOC immediately. One of the higher safety standards done anything for <laughs> anybody. The AOC immediately made extensive track improvements and tore down the grandstands at Le Mans, rebuilding them as terraces with a whole lot more room between the tracks and the crowd. Most countries ended up lifting their racing ban within a year, so it it was not a long ban. Right, and racing in Europe, it's not the same as here. 
here is pretty much NASCAR. That's it. Yeah. But racing in Europe takes on many different forms, and it's Mm -hmm. always been around almost since the start of the automobile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really has. Yeah, basically. Um, So the only thing is that Switzerland's ban is still technically in place. Um, it, It has different relaxed, like, it's not a strict ban, but they never really removed it fully. Yeah. They're so. like, if you win, you don't get a swatch. <laughs> That's your Switzerland reference. <laughs> That's the only thing I know about Switzerland. <laughs> Their cheese. Oh, well, yeah, that too. I'm not a big fan of Swiss cheese, but anyway. I know swatches. I owned, I owned several back in the day. <laughs> and different colors that you like. I never wore multiple ones okay. at the same time, but I, I in had... In you need to know the time and the I had time multiple zones. ones. Yes. <laughs> Were they different colors, the ones that you oh, wore? Oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. What are they were those? all unique. That was the fun part about them. <laughs> English, or no, American driver John Fitch became a race safety advocate and was the inventor. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. he was <laughs> well, because, right, up, right up close to it. Well, he, like, um, consoled the widow of the driver who died, so yeah. Um, he was the inventor of the so-called... Fitch barrel, also known as a crash attenuator, those yellow barrels oh, filled yeah. with sand okay, yes. yep. or, and or water to <clears> give <throat> cars something safer to crash into than solid concrete. Which you also see on interstate highways. Oh, yes, absolutely. They're used all over the world, mm-hmm. yeah. So, considering there was a sort of... like the, This was a big story in the sensationalist aspect of it, but the kind of the overall attitude eventually was well yeah this was bad but like no one person is to blame we need to make some safety improvements but then we'll continue racing like it was sort of commented upon that there was a bit of an underreaction to this whole incident that it wasn't considered i mean if you want to draw like modern comparisons like and this is maybe really gauche to do but okay 84 people died in this horrible crash like a handful of people die in a shooting and it's this huge uproar in america i am not saying that it shouldn't be i'm just saying that if you compared the reactions it could seem to be especially to modern especially american people that there wasn't a huge reaction to this and why was that but but just let, let me let me say this uh, spectators still to this day die in racing accidents. Well, but that's that's not my point. Here's my point. Okay. L- l- let me keep going on this. Um, this was 10 years removed from World War II, and at that point, and we're in France, probably mm-hmm. many of the people who were there and many of the people who heard about this and the whole, family members and everything literally saw dead bodies yeah or people not even not even veterans civilians well that too saw bodies lined up on the french countryside this carnage wasn't new to them it was just like it's not that it's it was not tragic it's not that it wasn't terrible and traumatizing and everything else it just might explain why this wasn't the biggest news story ever because or why the reaction wasn't huge because it's like yeah, this was bad. We've seen worse. You know, like a really sort of terrible I mean, and there war were, weariness. Right. And there were probably several people that were at, like, um, 
you know, Normandy and shit like that, and they're like, well, it's whatever. Right. They're like, it's only 84. Well, like, it, like it's better than 1,084. And like I said, not just veterans, but civilians sure. in Europe saw horrible stuff. Yes. Especially so, in France. Especially in Germany. Especially right. in England. So... So they're, they're, they have like a... Like a thickness to them. Yeah, like a... Res, a yeah, kind of a, yeah. Yeah, that's a good like, way to put like it. Whatever. Yeah. So, uh, I, I kind of identify with this, I have to say, because even though I've been really fortunate in that I have not experienced seeing terrible stuff like what these people saw either in the war or, or in this crash, um, but I do, especially after starting this podcast... I do find myself doing an unintentional, unintentional like comparison of tragedy. Um, that kind of softens the blow for me psychologically with other disasters. So we do have a lot of, for example, shootings here in the United States. Mm-hmm. We're pretty bad for that. But I will totally admit that I find myself thinking, oh, that's awful. But, you know... Thousands of people died at Lake Neos and in the Dust Bowl or, uh, you know, in this crash or in this plane crash or in this ferry capsizing or of thalidomide. I mean, it I'm not saying it's the best way to react. It, it just I just think it becomes natural to start becoming desensitized. But it's like a psychological self-protectionism, maybe. Sure. Partially. Because it's like an attempt to put things into perspective, to say, could have been worse. Because sometimes when things are terrible, that's like the only thing you have. Well, I think most Americans modern day feel that way. And I I honestly... Feel that it could have been worse? Yes. No, I don't think so at all. I See, I do. I, I don't. I, that's how I feel. But I don't think that's how most people feel. We see huge reactions on social media to everything. And I'm not saying that it's not horrible things. But it's like a handful of people die and it's like sets off this firestorm of like political commentary and sides fighting and and the president commenting God, motherfucker, <laughs> president commenting on Twitter, and... Is God, motherfucker, our president? <laughs> <laughs> you said that, not me, in case... I was asking the question. He likes suing people, remember? <laughs> um, that it, it just... Like, I feel like we're a highly reactionary society. Well, see, I, I think we've become that way. Yes. I don't think it's I don't think it started that way at all. I think it started how far are you going back? I'm going back to 9-11. I think that's when it all changed. Start I agree with that. I'll agree with that. But that's what I'm saying. I'm talking modern times. I'm not yeah. talking about we've always been this way. Because I'm talking I've, present day. And we both watched um, plenty of things on the seventies and stuff like that. There were It was crazy. There were Daily terror attacks and terror attacks, yes. like in New York City and bombings. stuff like that, during the yeah, yes. bombings in New York City, yes, multiple ones, and yes. people were just kind of like, whatever, okay. because yeah. no, and and I agree, I'm not saying I'm not comparing us to the past, I'm saying now, right? 
now we are it is highly reactionary. reactionary yes and that's what i'm saying in part that it's part it's uh, to me the spur was 9-11 yeah um and the thing that's kept it going is social media to, to me yes i agree social media well, or, ju- or just the internet overall yes Social media Be- because politics. before social media, there were people putting out blogs and, yeah. and stuff like that. With it, you know. it, it got. But since through. since the mm-hmm. birth of social media, it's gotten worse. Yeah. And and like I said, I'm not saying these things are bad. Like I am all behind the Parkland kids doing their activism. I think that's wonderful. I I I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, I I guess just that I think we're super reactionary, and that something like this. That was so horrible, but, and there was a lot of finger pointing and a lot of nastiness in the press, but it didn't turn into like, well, here, I don't know. Let me bring up an example that fits this narrative of what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, when Dale Earnhardt died in yes. 2001, and again, this is, this was in February. Earlier in the year. February 2001. This was Daytona 500. Okay. Um, so it is pre 9-11. Mm-hmm. When he died, I mean that was a tragic thing. Well, he sure, was, was a big he was in that sports yes. biggest yeah. icon mm-hmm. by far. Mm-hmm. Um, and the president again, NASCAR is owned by a family. Okay, the France uh, family. But this did is something. Eighty-four people died too. No, no, no. I, mean, no, no, no. I, think but what I don't. But think what this I'm is saying is no, no, no. Let me get to the comparison. What he said after Dale Earnhardt died. He said, let's not react just for the sake of reaction. Oh. And he got a lot of shit for it, mm. and probably still to this day does, but I remember seeing that press conference and thinking, mm-hmm. yeah, he's right. Yeah, he was actually being... That's because like, because in a tragedy, understandably, people's right. emotions yeah. get heightened. And, and, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Right, but, sure. But essentially, that's what he said. He was like, yeah. we're not going to react just for the sake of reaction. That's what he said. Right. In so many words. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, I kind of Makes agree. Sense, yeah. You just lost your biggest star that you've probably ever had, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you have to shut down, tear everything. down everything yeah. that mm-hmm. has, it, it mean you have to make some changes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Plus, I do think it's important, like, and and this this varies. Maybe I should separate this from like cr- crime and like people perpetrating things, and just well, sure. focus on disasters. Yeah. But like, because because nobody, what we just discussed, nobody wanted to happen. Right, right, right. Nobody purposely. It was it was that, not a, unlike nothing intentional. A criminal act, yes. But um, the idea that taking immediate action means. That there's no distance, there's no chance for everybody to calm down and put on clear heads, you know? Right. Um, oh, yeah, we're so far away from that today. Well, <laughs> it, 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 and that's why it doesn't really relate to, like, for example, the shootings here, because they happen so goddamn often, there's not time. Like, either we never deal with it or we deal with yeah. it while we're all emotional. Statistically, just, it's yeah. a week later and we're exactly. on to the next one. Exactly. Yeah. So, but in the case of like a tragedy like this, I do agree that it's everybody take a breath, everybody take a beat. Okay, well, nobody's racing, all right, well, right yes, now. Yes, I think in the so aftermath. Stop. I think in the aftermath they did the right thing. Yes, they stopped. They evaluated. Yeah. They corrected. And like maybe we shouldn't have people uh, ten feet from the racetrack. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, it, 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 four feet. And and uh, or yeah, that's four feet. Yeah. Um, 
I, I can't tell you the last time it's happened, but I mean, spectators, spectators yeah. in racing die a lot. I mean, this is just one of... Well, but to this extent. Obviously, it's I like a handful Yeah, I was going to say, there, I don't think there's been a bloodshed like no. this. No, there never there's has been. been. This yeah. is, to this day, the worst accident oh, I believe in it. motorsports. Yeah, I believe it. Period. Yeah. So, anyway. But there there have been incidents since oh, then. Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. There just dozens just haven't of people been as, as yeah. high of a death, death toll. So, yeah. yeah. I cannot imagine a, uh, a hood of a car that was going 150. 50 miles an hour that flying That detail got me. me that, like, it decapitated people. Well, they said it looked like a, it was like a flying guillotine. Yeah. And I'm sure that's exactly... Fuck. Anyway. Anyway, this will not become the politics podcast. This well, will not become the racing podcast. <laughs> this will remain the death podcast. <laughs> no! I'm sorry. The disaster podcast. Oh, that's right. Disaster. Yes. Yes. So... Yeah, that was the 1955 Le Mans crash. Thank you, Reese, for the suggestion. Yes, thank you. I, I enjoyed that one in the worst way possible. Yep. yep. And uh, and maybe I'll YouTube it. Maybe I won't. <laughs> yeah. Thus concludes episode 49 mm-hmm. of All Bad Things. Yes. And our mega multisode. Yes. We'll be starting. Next week. Two weeks from tomorrow? Nope, next one week. week. Remember, this is com- Don't confuse our listeners. I'm sorry. I know. I'm sorry. June 18th. Oh, okay. Good. All right. Which is a week from the day this comes out. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Two weeks from tomorrow. For us, <laughs> yes. But don't confuse everybody. <laughs> and this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. <laughs>